HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. This is our second show of 2023. We're recording on Tuesday. January 17th, 2023. I'm really looking forward to the Craft Malt Conference. It's coming to Portland, Maine on March 16th to 18th. And the executive director, Jesse Bussard, put together a really great lineup of of speakers and uh, participants in the conference. So we'll be talking about the Craft Malt Conference. So let's go around the room. Everyone can introduce themselves, just say your name and and where you're working. Of course, we'll start with Jesse. Hi, everybody. Uh, Jesse here. Um, I'm the executive director of the Craft Monsters Guild, and I'm um, excited to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for organizing the show, Jesse. Really looking forward to our conversation. And Hillary? Hi, I'm Hillary Burrill from Rabbit Hill Farms. We're a farm and a malt house in New Jersey, and I'm also um, on the board of directors of the Craft Monsters Guild. Great. And Josh? Hey, everyone. I'm Joshua Buck. Um, I'm one of the owners at the Maine Maltos. We are a farm in Maltos in northern Maine. Okay, Oak and Sean. Hey, everyone. I'm Sean Towers. I'm one of the founders and brewers of uh, The Seed, a living beer project in Atlantic City, New Jersey. All right. So, Jesse, um, I am so looking forward to being in Portland, Maine, March 16th to 18th for the Craft Mall Conference. Uh, how long have you been working on this? Because I've been ready to go since last year. I've been ready to go since 2020, Jimmy. It's a long time coming. Um, we we actually started planning the, uh, this conference in 2020. And then, of course, you know, the pandemic happened and, and we had to delay it. And the pandemic continues. And so we had to delay it a second time. Um, but the third time's the charm, I think, and uh, we're going to be uh, in Portland, Maine in just a couple of months, so I'm excited about it, too. That's great. And I will say, just give you credit, I mean, I only met you during the pandemic. You put together some really great virtual programming, and um, I, I, I sat in on one of the virtual craft malt conferences. Um, mm-hmm. How hard was that, and uh, what, what's your takeaway from the last couple of years of, of doing things virtually? Oh. You know, the the first year was definitely um, it, it was definitely a big challenge the first year because you know it was the first time I we any of us had ever really had to do something like that with our organization and um, it was my first time figuring out how to do a um, virtual event um, but it ended up coming together great and I would credit that to just a lot to choosing the right people to help us make it happen. Um, we partnered with some great uh, videography and virtual event management folks that just made it smooth and, and run well. And um, I'm really organized too. So that helped a lot. <laughs> um, I know you are. You're the best. <laughs> oh yeah. 
And then Hillary, um, we, we've had you on a couple of times, and, and I love what you're doing at Rabbit Hill Malt House in, uh, in South New Jersey. Um, just tell us what you're, you're, you're looking forward to about the conference. I think um, I'm most looking forward to getting back together with our community. Um, I mean, as great as the virtual conferences were, and I think one of the things that was really amazing about the first virtual conference was how engaged people were, even in the online platform. Um, but there still isn't a replacement for actual in-person sitting down, having a beer together, talking about the day's sessions and what you learned or what was a thing that sparked some new idea for you. So I'm most looking forward to that, just that feeling of community and camaraderie that we get um, when we all get together to talk about um, malting and brewing and distilling. Yeah. I know last year you won a big prize at the Craft Malt Cup. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, we did. We were really proud of the malt that we're making, and we'll see who gets to take home the trophy this year. Uh, we've got, I think, 12 medals going out this year, Jesse. It's in four different categories. Yeah, 12 medals. And of course, yes, the malt cup will go to whoever comes out on top as best of show. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. And then, uh, J Josh, you, tell us about your background, because uh, I think, isn't your family also a farm family? Yes. Uh, yeah, so we started out um, farming. My grandfather actually started the farm um, back in 58. Uh, in our area, it's typically all the farms up here are potato farms. Um, and usually guys uh, will plant small grains as a rotation crop. Uh, in 2015, we started the malt house. We started trying to diversify a little bit, trying to get away from the potatoes a little bit. Um, and then in 2017, we actually got rid of the potatoes altogether and we switched over to just a, just a small grains farm now. Um, all the grains we grow are coming right through our Malta. So, so you're, you're way up in Maine. How, how far yeah. are you from Portland? So we're like four and a half hours. We do it in like four hours early in the morning when we go see customers. But what, what, tell us, give us some Maine primers, but not for Portland, like Maine up country. What, what do you call it? What's your tallest mountain? Um, Ooh, all right, yeah. So up where we are, so we're in Aroostook County. So we're known as the crown of Maine. Um, we're like the largest county in Maine. Um, the tallest mountain in Maine is Mount Katahdin. Um, I think the summit is exactly a mile above wow. sea level. Um, hmm. Crops that I mean, you grow? Our, big, our biggest crops are potatoes. Um, other big industries in Maine, we have a very large uh, logging lumber industry especially in Northern Maine and Western Maine. Uh, lobster is a very large industry in Maine. And then what, what are some of the breweries that, that are embracing uh, the craft malt movement in Maine? Uh, there's a lot. I think the, I haven't looked in a while to see how many breweries we have in the state. I think it's like 140, 150-ish maybe. Um, we're selling to maybe 110, 120 of them, so... Uh, a lot of them are embracing it. Uh, some of our bigger customers are uh, Bissell Brothers Brewing, Allagash Brewing, uh, Gagan Brothers Brewing out of Bangor. Um, and some uh, Sebago Brewing are some of the, the big users for us. Wow. So this is, this is a special state. If 120 breweries are buying from you, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. For sure. Oh, great. And then, Sean, uh, the seed beer in Atlantic City. Um, great, great to talk to you again. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So, uh, well, I, I think you know, we we've seen with the craft mall movement, you know, the the farms, the maltsters, um, and the the breweries are always important. Uh, just tell us what craft mall means to you and um, what you'll be doing at the conference. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, craft mall means everything to us. Just like any ingredient we use. If you think about it, like like cooking, like a restaurant, a chef, you're only as good as your ingredients are, and then what? I don't know what you can do with them. So we're very fortunate to be in proximity-wise, very close with Hillary and family in Rabbit Hill. So we use their malt a lot. Uh, our whole lager program and our whole saison program is entirely their malt, and we use uh, some form of their malt in every beer we do. 
So as far as the conference goes, I'll be speaking on a panel directed towards the use of local malt in lager production uh, and some different viewpoints on the whens, whys, hows, and the other decisions that go into using local malt specifically in lager and or not using local malt specifically in lager. Um, and I'm really excited just to, to be a part of it and to get in the same room with all these people. Um, I think a lot of the best conversations come when you bring a bunch of people that are just super passionate about specific subjects or just focus and passion in general and just allow ideas, conversations and knowledge and experience to kind of flow openly. So I'm looking forward to being in the room with a lot of people that know a lot more about local malt than I do. Well, that looks like a really exciting uh, session. I know that you're on with Mike from Sacred Profane and, and John Hall is the moderator. That's pretty great. Yeah, and we have a uh, to-be-determined person, a third person, also going to be on that panel. So, Jesse, I bet you're just living and breathing every detail of this conference right now. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> it's literally like every part of my – every day I'm doing something related to this event pretty much, uh, you know, uh, leading up to it. Uh, so, yeah, this is the, the crunch time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's exciting, and I'm looking forward to being there. But just some geek, just some more intro, just questions, just to get everything going. Um, when I, I was thinking about malt today, so I'm going to ask myself the first question, and then if anyone else wants to answer it in their own words, they can as well. When I think of malt, I think of the brewing process, and everyone's favorite is the smell of cooking malt on a, on brew day. Now. That, I think that's a, a smell that people can relate to. Um, so anyone else want to tell me what, what, what they think of when they think of malt? I'm glad you think that's a great smell because a, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of neighbors to breweries wouldn't exactly agree with you. But we, we think it's fantastic also. Yeah, I think the smell of, a, of mash, you know, when you mash in, that, that it just smells like hot oatmeal or something. It's good. Yeah, and then that, you know that's a way when you, when you think about malt that people can relate to because if if you've ever smelt it, you, you do think of baking bread, right? Yeah. So, Sean, what were you gonna say? Uh, I was gonna go a little different direction when when I think about malt. For us, mm. it, a lot of it gets back to like just that that connection with your surroundings and and with your land specifically for us. Um, and that always ties back to our personal ethos of Cezanne that we try to drive through everything. Uh, but it's become such a heavy focus of the wine world, of course, forever is the sense of terroir. Um, and I have a little bit of, I mean, a lot of background. I still have a full-time job in aquaculture where Merois and the, you know, the, the water in which some of your food is coming from plays so heavily into how that food's experienced. Um, so for us, the, the malt angle on that is is no different. It's, you know, it's the main ingredient that starts everything. Like you can make the hoppiest beer possible, but it's not going to ferment if there's no sugars in there. So for us, just it, it's it's a foundation. And I think that's real important. And uh, anyone else want to say what they think of when they think of malt? If not, it's okay. <laughs> it's a hard question, I guess. Well, I guess I'll ask you, Josh, like, um, <laughs> You know, Arusta County, you know, is there a character of your malt um, compared to like Hillary's, the South Jersey, South Jersey malt? Yeah, I think so. I think every area probably has their own uh, contributions to it as far as like what the soil is made of and the water that they're using in the process and all that. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a difference. I think you could also, if you wanted to try mimicking other malts, that it, it can be done in a brew or a malt house as well. Um, we've done that with a few different breweries trying to match up a malt they were using that they're either having a hard time to get or they wanted to switch to a local product. And are you, are you malting other people, other farmers' grains as well as, as your own farm's grains? Uh, a little bit, not, uh, as far as up here, yeah, we do contract, uh, actually the last, last year it went down some, we actually grew our farm side a little bit, um, to grow more acres ourselves. We try to contract to help spread the risk out. Um, 
a little bit. It's getting harder to do that because some of the the bigger potato farmers are are focusing on their small grains. Um, and a few of them actually have cut small grains out of their rotation of crops altogether. They're just putting grass down. Um, so it's, it's been a little bit kind of an unforeseen challenge that we're, we've been facing. From, from my understanding of main grains and that movement, wasn't it that that the main farmers had kept small grains as their cover crop and rotate crop? And, and and that's why some people say Maine's ahead uh, of the curve. Uh, is yeah, that, is that true? Yeah, yeah I, I suppose I hadn't heard heard that exactly, but um, I know for years it was everyone like in our area would always have. We're always growing like on our farm, for example. We always grew like a little bit of oats, a little bit of barley. They all went to the elevator. It was like one of those things where the joke was that every five years you would make your money back on it. Um, you were really just doing it to get the land or the ground ready for the potato crop. Um, within the last probably 10 years, there was a little bit of a shift where everyone started focusing a lot more on their green crops, um, trying to add more value to them. Um, and then in the last probably two years, I, for some guys that just kind of, they, they sold their grain drills, sold their combines, and they just want to plant a uh, like a mix of grasses as a rotation and then plow it in. Yeah. Um, mm. We're hoping it goes the other way where it, uh, they decide that the grasses aren't working for them. They want to grow small grains again, but that's how it is at the moment. No, it's neat. You know, there's, there's, there's so much to talk about at, at the Craft Malt Conference. Hillary, what, mm. what are some of the things you, you talk about with other other farmers and maltsters? I think um, I talk a lot about what types of grain, like what types of barley we're malting. Um, I just got back at the end of last week, I was out in Michigan for their Brewers Guild conference. And Michigan has a lot of similarities climate-wise to New Jersey. Um, they, they grow some spring barley and some winter barley as well. Um, we can grow spring barley and winter barley on our farm as well. Um, and I was just talking a lot with the farmers and the researchers and the other maltsters about the differences that we've seen between malting spring grains and malting winter grains and um, where we kind of think they could go with uh, more winter grain production in Michigan. So it's really the the changing climate and how that changes what types of barley you can grow in your area and then how that affects what you do in the malt house um, has been a lot of what I've been talking about with people lately. And then Jesse, the, the conference. So um, give a shout out to a couple of the other panels and conversations that are going on. Sure thing. Uh, I would say a few of the ones that I'm really excited about are one to listen to the, the keynote um, with Dr. Rob Arnold, uh, author of the Terroir of, of Whiskey. He's going to dig into some you know, really kind of connect the dots, you know, from how plant breeding and agronomy and like flavor chemistry and sensory science all connect back to the flavors that you're experiencing in beer and whiskey. So that sounds really interesting and on Saturday, there's a really interesting talk with um, David Griggs from Crisp Malt, who, which is, he's from England, but it's about the production of Scotch whiskey. Kind of gives a background, a little history of it, um, the role of malt, and, and kind of opportunities and challenges there. So I know those are two like completely different things, but I found those interesting. There's also some really cool talks on... Uh, breeding malting barley varieties for non-traditional growing regions, um, featuring New York State's uh, Cornell University researcher, Dr. Mark Sorrell. Oh, yeah, Mark Sorrell, wow. And um, Heather Darby from the University of Vermont is also going to be talking about how um, barley and, and other small grains can be used uh, to um, improve soil health, and, um, you know, diversify farms. Uh, so, you know, hopefully lending to uh, Joshua's, you know, hope that uh, more farmers will consider bringing back small grains into their rotation. 
um, if, if they can see the benefits. Wow. And then uh, the, a big part of this conference is a big anniversary for you guys, right? Yes. Uh, so the Guild was founded in 2013, um, July 24th, 2014 to be exact. Uh, but uh, so yeah, this year is going to be our 10 year, 10 year anniversary, our, our birthday. It's, it's a big deal. So uh, I think, you know, the Guild turning 10 says a lot about Groff Mall or we've, we've reached it. Oh yeah. A new level. Oh yeah. You guys are amazing. So let's do the whoop. Army can put a little cheers in afterwards or something. But um, we are back to the craft ball conference. It, it, the whole thing is so complicated in that it's, I still can't believe that the whole craft mall, you know, guild is a movement. I mean, this is huge. You know, and what's happened in 10 years is unbelievable. You know, I believe that the best beer comes from craft malt, of course. Um, who wants to give it a, wants to give a stab to the importance of this organization and its impact. That's so tough. That's a big one. That's a huge question. That's <laughs> a big one. I think. Well, that's what people want to know because yeah. honestly, I, I get mixed, mixed, mixed feedback from some brewers. Some brewers are, of course, using craft malt. Some aren't really thinking about it. But yeah. it's, bigger, it's bigger than that. I, I so. would like to try. Um, uh, for me, what I see the guild serving as is is this organization that's anchoring the community and uh, really, you know, serving as a, the organization that helps to prom promote the industry to serve as this resource for education and networking for those within it. Um, and we've really, from the get-go, really had a big emphasis on things like quality and safety and, um, you know, flavor. And um, I think because of the commitment to a lot of those things and also just that commitment to being this really uh this community hub for education has really uh fostered that kind of environment where this industry has been able to uh to grow like it has if i could just piggyback on what jesse's saying real quick i think one of the most important things for uh what i would just call like the, the bulk of bulk of any population not the niche folks who are searching something out specifically is kind of as simple as jesse put it just organization and education and to me as a on the on the other side of this not a grower uh not a farmer not a maltster but as a brewer i think it's the most important to have just more public awareness and more educational components things uh online meetings conversations just to let people know that i mean this might sound oversimplified but that it's an option like we've done some collabs with folks this year that haven't in New Jersey that haven't used Hillary's malt before. And when they start using it, they can look at the price point and say, actually, this this really isn't cost prohibitive necessarily. And it's easy to work directly with the person who grew it and malted it themselves to answer questions. And I think I'm going to go ahead and order this again. And if that comes from just more public awareness or just you know putting it in people's faces a little more for them to do their own research behind that, or after that, I think that's super important. Hillary? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to just jump in and say sort of the same thing, but Jesse and Sean pretty much just answered it. I think our first 10 years as an organization was really focused on promotion and education of ourselves, right? So making sure that our malt houses had the resources that they needed to grow, um, to educate themselves about making higher quality malts, um, and now I think that I don't want to say that that job is done, but I do think that we are as an organization shifting our focus a little bit into how we can help promote craft malt in, at a wider scale. Um, how can we bring that education to consumers, um, brewers or distillers who don't know how to use it or where it could fit into their program, um, that, that type of outward facing education and promotion, um, is what I'm excited about for the next 10 years. That's great. Sean, uh, just how important is it to you as a brewer in Atlantic city, New, New Jersey, that you have a, a, a great local craft maltster like Hillary nearby? Oh, it's awesome. Makes it nice and easy for us. Hillary does all the work and we get to reap the benefits of it. So. 
Well, I, I, tell me about one beer, and both of you, I'd like you both to say something about the malt. Um, one beer that you you you've used Rabbit Hill malt in. Yeah, so uh, like I mentioned earlier, our lager program is focused directly on Hillary's malt. Um, I think lager is a beautiful showcase of malt in general because there's there's nothing really to hide behind. They're very simple, very clean beers, obviously for the most part, stylistically at least. Um, but they take they take a a lot of talent and experience and education to to do properly, and they also take a keen eye towards quality of ingredients. So like our our pale lagers, we have our first Hellas uh, inspired lager in a tank right now that we're going to continue lagering through the end of February that we're really stoked on. Um, it's, it's pretty much, I think it was about 85% Hillary's Pilsner malt and 15% of uh, Munich malt from Abbot Hill as well. Uh, we do a very somewhat simple um, kind of unique decoction process in our brew house that we think really allows us to, to get as much character complexity out of the grains that we can so that we're not, you know, hiding or kind of wasting, for lack of a better term, anything that's so inherently baked into those grains. Um, but the Hellas in particular, the hopping level is low enough that I think it'll really allow all the nuance of, of that particular barley to shine. Hillary, what, what's it like working with, uh, with Sean at the seed as, as the maltster? Uh, it is so easy to work with the seed. Uh, they are an an amazing partner, and I've I've joked with them over and over again that they're our best salespeople, um, and I'll I'll continue to say it because they they do um, go out and speak the the malt evangelizing talks uh, to all of the other brewers that are in their community. Um, so we always love working with with uh, with people like that, and it's. I think that they are a great partner for us because they're always excited to work with something um, new, right? So if I have time uh, in my malt schedule to try and make a style that we haven't made before or to maybe use a grain that we haven't used before, um, Sean and Amanda at The Seed are always like, yeah, just give us give us a few bags and we'll try and make something with it. So um, they're a great partner to to try new things with um, and always provide me with feedback so that I can then kind of go back to the drawing board if it's something that needs to be tweaked or, you know, start making it again if it's something that uh, worked right out of the gate. And you've been very gracious with the timeline you allow for that feedback to get back to you. <laughs> it always gets here eventually. <laughs> Sean, did you have an aha moment with, with one of those little test batches? Um, I wish I had a beautiful aha story for you, but I, I don't think so because, um, we've, so Amanda, my, my wife, Amanda has been brewing professionally in New Jersey for about a decade now. Um, so by the time we got our own project up and running, we'd had the opportunity to be lucky enough to work with, uh, Rabbit Hills Malt for a while. And we, we got to play with iterations of some of their malts over many years with other breweries. Um, on a smaller scale, but still nonetheless. So by the time we got the seat up and running, uh, we, we kind of knew what we were getting into. We were, we were lucky to know what we were getting into. That's great. It's nice to just see the little behind the scenes of, of how this really works because so many of us are just working on the scale as a home brewer or, you know, working in the industry. Um, big numbers. We don't really talk numbers on the show, but, but Jesse, considering that we're talking about the Craft Malt Conference, um, let's talk numbers. So this, in the terms of the state of craft malt, tell us about recent production increases. Yeah. So in 2022, we, we did a production survey and we discovered that, um, since our last industry benchmarking survey, our industry has increased production by 60%, which wow. in just the span of three years is quite a bit. Uh, so that was, was kind of exciting. So that was in 2019 levels were at about 15 and a half million pounds annually. And in 2022, uh, they were estimated at about 24.8. Wow. 
million pounds. So yeah, craft malt's on the rise. And I can say, you know, just anecdotally, I'm seeing that as well, uh, just in the number of members that we have that are currently going through malt house expansions um, or developing folks you know, that are developing operations. Um, I think Josh at Maine Malt House actually is in the process of maybe some expansion at this moment. Maybe wrong. Yeah, I feel like we're always expanding here. So we just get one, <laughs> it's just one project after another. Uh, we just put in, in 2022, we put in our second uh, 10 metric ton uh, malting system, Salamine Bog. Um, so yeah, so we just got through that expansion. We are now expanding our um, green cleaning and packaging is next on the list, is coming uh, in a few months. And then we'll be yeah. back to expanding the the uh, farm side of it, the uh, barley intake um, side of it will be hopefully later this summer before harvest. That's exciting. You know, I, I so walk me through the this whole process because I've been to Tor Eskner's farm up in Finger Lakes, New York, and he's a guy that I knew years ago doing who's doing specialty grains, and I know that. Uh, at least initially, the only person that he that was malting his grains was Valley Malt in Massachusetts, Andrea Stanley, um, and he had a lot of cool gadgets. <laughs> I remember like he was the ultimate tinkerer with with every every piece of equipment he had. He had a MacGyver and and it was working perfectly, but he was always on it. Um, Hillary and 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 Josh, tell me a little bit about the equipment and 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 how much of that you you're doing. You know, is it just sorting? You know, what, what are the steps when, when you get your grain or when you, after you harvest it? I don't really know anything. Josh, do you want to go first? I was hoping you'd go first so I could think <laughs> about it. But I, I go first. No, it's okay. I was going to say for us, you know, similar to Josh, we, we were growing small grains before we started the malt house. So we had on hand some of the equipment that we would need. Um, and we also had some equipment that we could repurpose. Um, so that's everything from the equipment that you need to plant grains, um, care for grains, and then a combine to harvest those grains. Um, then you need storage capacity, usually like silos, grain bins, um, so that you can hold those grains in good condition. And that's all stuff that you're doing and equipment that you need before you even get to the malt house. Um, and then you need just conveyances, augers and belts, all of those different things to move grain from your storage into the malt house. And then you hit your malting equipment. Um, so, yes, we clean our grains beforehand, um, before we're malting. So you're cleaning and sizing. Um, and then we're floor maltsters. So we have um, conical shaped steep tanks. Uh, a large floor for us to do our germination phase and then a separate kiln. Um, and so every malt house is going to have a little bit of a different setup. Every farm is going to have a little bit of a different setup. But I think something that Josh was starting to allude to is that you have kind of like the version that you start with and then the version that you want to get to um, to help you produce things more efficiently and help you move grain more effectively. So I think right now we're in the phase of that continual expansion as well, where we've done a lot of little stepwise things to make our lives easier and increase our capacity. And now we have to figure out like, where are we going from here? Um, what's our final destination size wise and how can we make um, our work more efficient? Um, so we're not just using repurposed things so that we've built it um, with intention. And Hillary, just for, for you, because I know you 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 had a, a family farm, is is there a benchmark like what percentage of land, for example, are you going to dedicate to grains and malt versus other other products? So on our farm right now, we are probably around a third of our land um, for the grains that go through the malt house. Um, I think we could increase that a little bit more, but not too much more because we want to make sure that we're maintaining a really healthy and sustainable rotation on our farm. Um, so 
if we grow too much more, then we'll have to start working with neighboring farmers to make sure that we have adequate barley supply um, and other grain supply coming in. Yeah. And Josh, anything we missed? Uh, yeah. So I, I'm not sure if Hillary, if they do like grain drying as well. So it's a kind of a big part of it for us when we harvest the grain from the field. Um, everything needs to run through our just about the last three years, anything, every, almost everything we've harvested has gone through our grain dryer. So we're harvesting at a higher moisture to, to get the quality that we're looking for. And then we're running it through a grain dryer to take the moisture out. So it'll store for a long period of time. Um, and like Hillary mentioned, you know, we're trying to trying to look at the big picture, like where we want to go. Um, as far as like when we're laying out, like where we're putting grain bins and the grain dryer, um, it's a it's a battle that I face every year. Uh, last year, I think we moved uh, we moved four bins last year that were just we put one in the way so we couldn't add on to our building, and then we had to move a few others around to accommodate for our new grain dryer. Um, yeah, it's kind of a battle of uh, where everything's going to go, and then trying to get that long term picture of where you want to go. Josh, what's what's your favorite vehicle? <laughs> My favorite vehicle at your farm. Uh, I mean, I wish I could go sit in tractors more often, but I'm usually at the malt house. My uh, my title is more of a project manager, so I'm uh, I'm mainly on just the uh, expansion side of things. I'm always growing things, and I do a lot of the maintenance as well. So. I I think my favorite tractor or favorite vehicle would be a tractor. Unfortunately, I don't uh, I don't get to sit in them too often anymore. All right, Jesse. Um, you know I I love thinking about the farms and the source of of our beer. <laughs> you know, it, it, for a number of years I used to hear about farm to glass. You know, it, is that a phrase that you guys use? And, and what are some other phrases or you know? slogans that you guys might have to help people understand this Ooh, plow to pint oh that's a good one <laughs> um field to ferment yeah gosh those are pretty good yeah yeah there's a there's field a couple there's a couple field to, yeah there's field a field distilling related one yeah well, that's good. You get, yeah, there's a lot here. It, it, it does go deep. And, you know, a, a lot of the the Craft Monsters Guild, a lot of the workshops um, definitely have specific, you know, specific uh, knowledge as part of them. Um, I noted, like, I've I've seen some with Hannah from Montana State University. Um, what, what's the most popular, like, separate from the conference, like, the most popular type of workshop or online panel that, that you guys run? Um, I would say, I mean, for our membership, our uh, like bi-monthly webinars that we do are pretty popular. Um, outside of membership, it would, it, our conference is hands down our most popular event. Um, you know, our, our advanced malting class is a very small scale of workshop. Um, but it definitely is popular in its own right. Um, and, and this year, in fact, it's it's the registration's been been filling up quite quickly. So we're we only actually have a handful of seats left. Oh, that's great. Hey, and I'm gonna give a shout out before we take a break. Um, it's the second year in a row we've planned it, and now we're doing it um, with I'm doing it with Blue Ox Malt um, at Novari Res. So if you if you're in Portland, Maine. Uh, on Thursday, March 16th from four to six, while people are getting ready to, to start the conference. Um, if anyone stops by Novari Res, um, we will be there. There will be some, at least some of the craft malt beers available. Um, and just, I think we're calling it a mixer, Jesse, but thank you for yeah. encouraging us to, to do that. And I, I did get to check out Novari Res since we're talking Maine and Portland, which we're going to talk more about. I finally made it to Portland uh, in December just because I'd never been as an adult. And um, I went up for the day and I had a great time. I had had some friends in the industry show me around. But my favorite spot of, of the whole day was my, my beer at Novari Res. Um, so I, I think it's a great beer town. I, I think it's a really great spot for this conference. Um, 
We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. Give us a big support at heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member and uh, learn more about food, farming, and drinks, and everything else on heritageradionetwork.org. So we got Jesse Boussard, Craft Malt Conference, and crew. Um, This is a very interesting show. I'm always trying to go a little deeper, and I also realize what little I know (laughs) about the science of of malt and uh, even fermenting. Um, This is a great little group of, of people here. Jesse, um, Sean, I, I want to hear more about your craft malt conference talk. So we'll be talking about uh, craft malt and lagers. Um, what, what are some of the topics or talking points that you want you're going to cover on that? I don't know the exact to- talking points. Uh, John Hall will be moderating it, but the general brushstroke of the session is going to be a conference, basically. Uh, across three different vantage points of local malt in lager, specifically lager. So one of them being always using local malt uh, for your lager program. One of them being sometimes opting for local malt and sometimes opting elsewhere. And lastly, never using local malt. Um, And the idea of the session isn't to, you know, downplay any of those opinions, but more so, so that those listening in and the folks on the panel can just really dive in deeper to the conversation of why they make certain decisions. Um, so hopefully that can all inform other brewers and, and maltsters on how they can approach these conversations from a marketing standpoint, from a recipe development standpoint, and find out from a final product standpoint. So uh, on behalf of The Seed, mainly because Amanda really does not like speaking engagements, uh, I'll be speaking to our lager program, which is always using Hillary's or Rabbit Hills malt. Um, Fava from Sacred Profane will be speaking uh, to always using Czech malt. And is it, a, are, are we all confirmed, Hillary? Can I say Yeah, 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 we're, we're confirmed. Yes. So Justin, uh, one of the brewers, head brewer for Schilling up in Littleton, New Hampshire, will be speaking to their options or, or decision-making process based on beer and whatever else goes through their minds as to why they will sometimes opt for local malt and why they will sometimes opt for European malts. Uh, looking forward to that one. That, that, that one sounds really great. And that's definitely worth a follow-up. Um, Jesse, are, are you recording uh, these sessions? Yeah, actually we are. Um, and the, the cool thing is, is the sessions are going to be live streamed. Uh, so people will be able to actually tune in and watch them as they're they're happening. And then they'll be re- recorded right on time as they're happening and then available on demand afterwards. So to, to anybody that registered virtually for the conference. So uh, yeah, we're, we've made it very, very accessible to anyone who wants to tune in. Great. And are, are there still um, spots available at the hotel? I believe so. Yeah. But I would definitely call to ASAP to confirm. That sounds great. Um, what you know, Portland, Maine has to me it's it's a great beer town. Uh, there's been a mystique building for years. Um, 
I'm I'm really happy to be going, and I'm glad that you guys are doing it there. Um, let's talk about the the main agriculture session because that that one's really neat. You've got Josh uh, from Maine Malt and Joel from Blue Ox. That uh, says the agricultural landscape of Maine and how malting and food grains fit into the state's ag economy. Now I've 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 followed a little bit of Northeast grains and and, and some. New York State grains and and Maine grains, so I, that's why when I mentioned you know rotating crops and and you know uh, staple crops and small grains or whatever, um, I, I it keeps popping up that there's something going on in Maine. <laughs> um, so Jesse, <laughs> uh, should we talk? Yeah, <laughs> I think that uh, Joshua's uh, talk's going to be really interesting. Uh, and I would love to hear what he's planning to maybe focus on in that. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear that as well. No, I'm kidding. I wrote an outline for the presentation before oh, this I see. call. Uh, yeah, well, my my brother Jacob usually would handle this stuff, but him and his wife are expecting a child at the exact same time as the conference. So, uh, yeah. He slid me into it, into the uh, speaking spot. Uh, yeah, but we're just gonna. I think Joel and I. What we're gonna. What we want to do is we want to cover like what the farmland and crops, like a, kind of an overview of like Maine in general, because there's a lot of farmland in Maine. Um, and then kind of like what the big crops are, and like how much of that farmland is dedicated to those crops. Um, maybe some some like how it's changed too over the years, because it used to be quite a bit more. Um, and then, uh, and actually a fun tidbit is we, we used to have 200 acres of hops grown in Maine before potatoes were a thing. Um, and actually right in our town, there's 200 acres of hops growing. Um, maybe I'll put that in the presentation. That's but uh, then we're going to talk about kind of like how we farm. Um, we do like conventional planting as well as no-till. So I'm going to take a look at that. And then uh, I'm going to talk about a little bit of our malt house and uh, how kind of how we malt, I guess, um, on that. And then Joel will probably take a, take over from there, talking about his malt house and a little more on the uh, the end of selling to the breweries in that topic. So should be a good uh, all the way through from the farmland all the way through to the brewery. So you, kind of, you're going to you're gonna learn man. a lot just from preparing for this talk I, I will learn a lot from preparing <laughs> for this yeah i keep oh, I joking with jake if he's got my presentation done yet um but she hasn't apparently so but uh no it should be a good talk on covering kind of an overview of, of how how we do it in maine um i think that if if i went to another state that's what i'd want to learn is kind of like how they do it in their state because i know every state is is different as far as growing season growing region and that type of thing. So just to give everyone a little bit of a view of how we do it in Maine. Yeah. Sean, have you been up to Portland? Or are you curious about anything up there? It's been a long time since we've been up in Portland. Uh, Man and I went up when Allagash did their friendship festival with uh, Cantillon and Russian River. I guess that was probably 2015 or so. So it's been a good seven, eight years since we've been up. We're real excited. Yeah, and and Mike from Sacred Profane that that's really making a quite quite a buzz in the beer world. They're not, they're not too far from Portland. It's in Biddeford, Maine. Yep. Yeah, they're only about 20 30 minutes away, I think. Yep. Yeah, just in the south. Jesse, do you, do you have any brewery tours lined up uh for the conference? Yeah, Allagash is going to be hosting tours. <clears throat> they they are only con- um like brewery tour uh on at the, at the conference but um definitely the best brewery probably to tour in portland <laughs> so um yeah there will also be tours of blue ox mall house in lisbon falls which is just about i think around 30 minutes north of uh portland so uh two interesting opportunities yeah and i think it'll be I'm excited too to just hear a little bit about the difference between how Joel looks at things from a floor maltster's perspective and and how the Bucks are doing it um, with their more, uh, you know, they do more mechanized uh, malting. So it'll be cool to learn about that. 
Um, does it, Josh, you want to say anything about that now? <laughs> uh, you waited to do your homework. No, I'm also looking forward to hearing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think it'll be a good talk on because uh, Joel's approach is a little bit different than ours, I think. And uh, so it'd be good to get both of our kind of perspectives on that and how we're utilizing. I mean, we're, we're basically using the same grains, but making um, different products out of it. So, well, you got Hillary. So, Hillary, um, what about floor malting versus the mechanized malting? Ooh, that's a very broad question. <laughs> I don't know anything. I just, I just like that Jesse brought that up as a theme. Well, I think it's really interesting um, the way that all of these small differences kind of stack on top of each other to create this final malt that. Um, that is representative of that that land and that malt house um, and that barley variety and before it ever even gets to a brewer um, or a distiller. So I think one of the things that is gonna that's interesting to me is to I, don't, I hope we get to taste maybe taste some malt from Buck Brothers and Maine Malt House. Like if they had each had a malt that was made out of the same grain, um, but malted in those two different systems. Like what differences can you parse out there? Um, those kinds of things are really intriguing to me. It's like, where does flavor difference uh, generate? Uh, and I, yeah. I just had an idea. I think that Josh and Joel should both do hot steeps of a, a similar, both of like a similar malt style um, of the same variety during their presentations and then like offer samples to the audience. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? It would be interesting. About... See, Josh, we're doing the presentation for this you. You I'm thought right. it was going to be your brother, here. but I hope I'm you're take, taking notes. Take, taking notes right now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an idea, but I just literally, this idea sparked in my head as she was talking about that. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah we're, taking, we're taking audio notes. It's on Heritage Radio Network. So. Perfect, yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be like, a, it'll be a great sensory experience, and we'll be able to explore this like diff this difference in, in a, what, what do we call a house flavor, maybe? House flavor? Yeah. Like what, that's like actually, what we breweries... Actually, we do have a floor malting system, and we actually run everything through our floor malting before running it on our like pneumatic system. Yeah? And, uh, yeah, we found we do get different flavors from it and typically we're trying to match those flavors that we get on the floor on our pneumatic system yeah but i i, I bet um, there will still be slight differences there oh, has yeah. to be oh there has to be yeah for sure so it'd be just a, it'd be an interesting just experiment oh, i'll write it down <laughs> this is good jesse keep going come on <laughs> <laughs> What what else do you want them to do? <laughs> I mean, this well, is this is well. Josh, Hillary Hillary requested log malt samples as well, so don't forget your malt samples. What what else do you want them to do, Hillary? Oh, geez. Well, why not? It it, it it's the lead. I mean, it, it it answered the question I had is you know why do this conference in Maine? Um, obviously, there's a lot going on there with agriculture and history, so. And you as a monster, you want to you want to see differences and differences in techniques. You want to learn from it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, you know we're in New Jersey. I'm I'm the only malt house here, right? So the the way that we do it um, is we're we're just on an island, right? So um, I would love I love to kind of part parse apart those little differences that you get from different systems. Um, and I also love to tour malt houses. Um, you know, I think that we all have so many opportunities to learn from each other, even when you're malting in a different equipment setup or a totally different system. Um, there's still learnings to uh, to be found there. So, uh, I mean, it's kind of just on a the, the conference for me is just a, like a little larger scale of this conversation that we're having today where you know, maybe one part of a conversation sparks a little idea or another, hey, wouldn't that be cool? Um, and then all of a sudden you're somewhere totally different. So 
um, yeah, that's just what I would like to see out of all the presentations is people at the end um, walking out with a new idea or a new understanding or some some talking point that they're going to bring up with somebody else um, in the industry later that night or next week. That's great. Um, back to the beer because we're going to close out soon. Jesse, think of your closing statement. But uh, Sean, um, what beers or just breweries beers do you want to try when you're in Portland? Because uh, I've, I've been trying to catch up. I, I've been drinking Bissell. I never had Bissell until recently. Yeah, I think you you kind of mentioned it before. We're certainly hoping to get out to Sacred Profane so that uh, we can check out what Brienne and Fava had done with their new spot. Um, their beers have always been fantastic. So we're looking forward to seeing what the tank pub's like. Um, and other than that, I'm hopeful to steal a little bit of time to go meet up with Tim at Oxbow. Uh, always love their beer. So taste some of their beer, some of their Saison, and talk about fishing for a little while on the uh, on the ancillary side of uh, of the malt conversations. All right. Josh, any, any beers that, that we should try? You know, you've got a, you got your malt at 120 different breweries. Yeah, you're listing off some good ones. Bissell Brother, um, they got some very good beers. Uh, Tim at Oxbow, definitely. I mean, that's one of my top spots in Portland is, uh, is the Oxbow Brewery. Um, Bellflower okay. is right there, not too far from Oxbow, and they're making some good beers. Um, I haven't been in Portland in a while, to be honest, so I, I'm, I'm a little out of the loop, but there's a, I know there's a lot of good beers. Um, Allagash, obviously, is, is going to be a great stop, especially for the tour. They do an excellent tour there, um, really in-depth. Everyone at the brewery is pretty knowledgeable on what's going on, so, yeah. That's great. And Jesse, so we can still sign up for the conference, right? You sure can. Um, registration will remain open till the week before the conference. Um, yeah. And I hope that everybody will come on out and celebrate 10 years of craft malt with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I know that we're really excited to get everybody back together. Well, this is the, the kind of show I like. I'm, I'm really thirsty. I got one of the Bissell. <laughs> it's an orange, uh, like... Double dry hop IPA, 7.5%. It's in an orange can, and I can't figure out the name of it. Uh, Regenerator or something. But it's it's pretty good. I, I'm going to go crack one of those. Anybody else got a beer they're going to crack? Uh, you guys aren't drinking beer during this? Well, <laughs> I'm on a computer, you know. No, no, no liquids near the computer. I don't know. Oh, I've had two two during it, so I don't know. What do you got, Josh? I'm actually drinking a a pale ale that's made in our in house. We have like a little lab brewery set up um, where we trial some different um, malts that we produce on it. So it's like a pale ale. It's got a couple different malts that we produce on it. It's a bit on the bitter side. We haven't quite figured the uh, the brewery out yet, but uh, it's good. It's very drinkable. I'll tell you what, the, the mixer we do on March 16th at Novaria Res, will, will you bring one of your little tests? I'll see if there's, any, if there's any left. I don't know. I think that. You got two months. Come on. <laughs> two months. <laughs> yeah. It's true. He's got a presentation to do. Don't distract him. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. You know, you got, you got Hillary and Jesse on your side. So. <laughs> We're all gonna, but and Hillary, you got any beer going on right now? I I I didn't crack one before the show, so I'm gonna have to go grab what's in my fridge when I get done. But I would bet it's probably going to be a lager from the seed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds really good. And and Sean, what are you drinking, bro? Uh, I'm not gonna lie, I drank a glass of whiskey while we were talking, so <laughs> no beer for me today. What yeah. kind of whiskey? Uh, I was drinking a McKenna. One of my favorites. McKenna. All right. All right. And Jesse, anything? Just kombucha. <laughs> I like that too. And we didn't really talk too much about uh, distilling and, you know, the importance of craft malt in that industry. Mm -hmm. um, but looking forward to learning more about it at the, the conference. And we know that that's a growing, another growing part of the craft malt world. So thanks so much for joining me, Jesse, Sean. Josh and Hillary. Um, 
Big shout out to Armin Spengen, our engineer. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host of Beer Sessions Radio. We will catch you next time on Heritage Radio Network. And if you're interested in beer and malt and whiskey and farming, check out Portland, Maine, the Craft Malt Conference, March 16th to 18th. All right, we'll catch you next time. Woo, thank you. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.